Welcome back to Mind Over Movies. It's me, Isaac. And it's me, Casey. Mm, maybe we're gonna do something crazy. <laughs> Talk about some crazy. movies. <laughs> Talk about some film. Talk about some video games. Maybe. Oh, whoa, whoa. Are we, is that allowed? What the... Is that allowed? Maybe we're mind over <laughs> entertainment. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm I'm all for this because uh, I mean, this might be old news now, but like Cyberpunk 2077, yeah, uh, came out a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, this is old news, but we're gonna talk about it anyway. It's important. It's a controversy. It's a controversy. Yeah, I. I've been looking forward to this game for a while because it's mm-hmm. it's been giving me kind of like Blade Runner, like Definitely. just really fun, like neo-noir vibes uh, for a while now. And th- this game was announced back in like 2012, 2013. It was 13, I think, when the trailer yeah. came out. Yeah. And so it's just had an insane amount of hype on it. But um, it's been getting a lot of mixed uh, reactions. And yeah. by mixed, I mean... Sony has officially like taken it off the PlayStation Store to let people get refunds right. because it runs horribly. Horribly. Well, on last gen consoles, yeah. at the very least. Yeah. Like you, that's the main thing that's going on is like PS4 owners and Xbox One owners uh were essentially promised like a a workable port mm-hmm. of this game for last generation consoles, but uh, so far, it seems like the game does not run. No. It just simply doesn't work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, it started, the memes have started with uh, people uh, taking like screen caps of like, was like the first GTA game and being like, just popped in Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm super surprised that, you know, it had all these delays um, because they were trying to make it which I'm all for developers delaying a game to make it better, to make sure that, you know, it's going to work. Uh, but it seems like uh, they were just getting a lot of, like, you know, pressure from, you know, the fans and probably the company, the business side of it was like, you need to release this thing and stop delaying it. Um, and now that it's out, I can see why they kept delaying it because, yeah. you know, I'm like, maybe you needed a couple more months to, you know, smooth everything over on this thing and i don't know if a couple months would have solved it or not but uh it definitely makes me resent the the people that were basically screaming at them to just release it already i'm just like well they did and now mm, we got there's we got a mess on our hands uh they've lost so much money it seems like every day I wake up and there's something new, like on my newsfeed about Cyberpunk, like something else has happened, something else is going wrong with it, which is a darn shame because I heard that the actual looking past all the bugs and the crashes and everything, the story and the game is actually good, mm. is what I've heard. Yeah, I, I've i actually been playing it um, a little bit. I, I got it on, on PC because, well... I actually pre-ordered it, but mm-hmm. I figured that it would run better on computer. I didn't know that it would be like the only platform in which you could play the game. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, I, I having played it, I've got to say like the story is really engaging, and I absolutely love the world. Like I think that they've knocked it out of the park on that, and I would say even most story missions are mm-hmm. like super good, and they run really well. 
The problem is like you jump into the open world part of the game and you're immediately going to experience like performance issues. And on top of that, just some of the worst um, AI I think I've seen in recent memory because, um, you know, in a normal like done game, like Mm -hmm. if you have citizens out on the street, like they'll react organically to the world. You know, like if you shoot someone, like everyone runs away or whatever. In Cyberpunk, uh, it's fascinating. Just like all the crazy stuff going on. The, The number one thing that happens for me is people in cars just like vanish like one time my my companion was standing in the middle of the road and a car came up and i was like oh man he's gonna get hit by a car but as soon as the car reached him it just like disappeared like it was like some star trek stuff like it just kind of like faded from existence and it was gone and then the next car came and he was still standing there that car disappeared too they were just all despawning and i and i saw this glitch this morning um where this guy like started shooting and all the people started running away and he like looked up at the sky and then he looked back down and all of the npcs had disappeared because they're not programmed to be like real like npcs they're programmed to be set dressing that's the problem with the game right now is that it has a lot of like these um oh i want to say like these, it's a gilded game because, like, mm-hmm. on the surface, they have very beautiful graphics and, like, a very populated world. But as soon as you, like, start digging into it at all, it's just a shit-filled center, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah, and it, it's really disheartening to play. Like, I've, I've actually decided that I'm probably going to put off playing it seriously mm-hmm. for another month or so. Like, they've already come out with patches, and I've noticed, like, a little bit of an improvement um but it's not enough yet and yeah. honestly i think by the time that they do fix this game up seriously like it'll be way too little way too late like yeah. it, their reputation is tanking by the day yeah and and i mean it's just a very easy target right now so i mean instead of that like rpg i'm just uh sticking to a classic then i've started replaying fallout new vegas which yeah is... baby the best the oh best. my gosh if you uh if you couldn't tell by now you know we're gamers um <laughs> new Ve- fallout new vegas is uh the fallout series in general is just like that's my favorite like game series but like, new vegas that's my favorite game of all time uh and uh i guess uh now you've started replaying it um recently Oh yeah, joining the Brotherhood of New Vegas uh, elite fans. <laughs> I I really just have such fond memories of this game. Watching like other people play it for a long time, and then finally my parents caving in and being mm-hmm. like, "Oh yeah, you can play Fallout games now." It's like yes, <laughs> you know. I used to play around with the VAT system and just see like who who I can like blow the head off of. Right. <laughs> yeah, and New Vegas is awesome. You can do it to anyone. Yeah. Great. Yeah, no, it's a, it's like the most pure form of like RPG that I've ever played. Uh, everything's great about it. And I mean, the great thing about it is 10 years later, that's a game that works still, mm-hmm. you know, that's still the game. Still holds up. And the developers are like still answering like fan questions yeah. on like uh Tumblr and Twitter, mm-hmm. I think. Like it's really interesting to see how long this game has lived like I think if people had doubts about it when it first came out, I don't yeah. think you could deny anymore that it's a it's a classic. It's a certified classic. It's yeah. a certified classic, for sure. Yeah. I think even more than Fallout 3. 
this oh, game definitely. has aged well. Like mm-hmm. I, I think as as the years go on, people kind of realize that the Bethesda chapters of Fallout, like Fallout Three and Fallout Four, and especially 76. Fallout Seventy Six, what a disaster! They don't hold up to no. that one Obsidian effort. Yeah. And you know the the coolest thing I found out, like you know, Cyberpunk took eight years to develop. I found out recently that Fallout New Vegas only took eighteen months. Yeah. And you know the story behind this. Like, what what was up with that exactly? So, um, Obsidian, for those that don't know, um, they're uh, basically they were created and they absorbed Black Owl Studios. Black Owl Studios were the and along with some members from Interplay, those were the original creators of the first two Fallout games. So when those two studios dissolved, basically they went bankrupt and then basically they sold the Fallout IP to Bethesda. Bethesda uh, released Fallout 3 in 2008 and which obviously everybody loved it. Um, whatever. Anyway, <laughs> then um, Obsidian, uh, basically, you know, they a bunch of the original creators of Fallout are there. Bethesda told them, uh, we'll let you do like a spinoff sort of game. Um, and, uh, well, like basically they, I, they were just being generous, I guess. Um, really they just like, we want you to create a spinoff game while we're working on Fallout 4 because I, that was basically, I, that to me, that's the only reason I could see them like asking them to do a game is because they, they started work on Fallout 4, like right when Fallout 3 released, they were already planning Fallout 4. So Fallout 4 was a long time in the making. So I guess they had them do a spinoff to kind of hold fans down. And, um, well, they gave them 18 minuscule months to make this game. So a lot of the, uh, a lot of, I have some criticisms of New Vegas is that New Vegas is like reskinned Fallout 3. And, um, sort of but only because they had 18 months they couldn't possibly recreate everything they're using, they couldn't make new assets they couldn't like, make new no any assets yeah so i mean they're they're uh having to reuse the same um they're using the same uh uh engine uh is mm-hmm. that the, which that engine needs to be put down like that is oh so bad. they they're, i think they finally put it down by like four right like skyrim uh, was like the last game i think to use that well four is is a modified version of that game engine as well yeah so like i don't know if they used it i think they still used it for 76 as well which is such a shame Either way, they give them 18 months, and then they said uh, that all the employees, uh, they would all give them uh, some kind of a big bonus uh, check if the game reached over, and I think it was like uh, 85 to 90 on Metacritic score after like three months. Well, after three months, the game reached 84. Mm. So they it was like one point off, and they didn't get the big bonus. And so, and I think Bethesda is kind of jealous because their game did way better than threes and uh, i think really the 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 reason new vegas the number one reason to me that is better than three and four and 76 all combined is because bethesda does not know how to create a how to game design so well that they in fallout 3 there are characters you cannot kill Mm -hmm. because they are too essential what i love about new vegas is that you can go in and Everybody is killable. Everybody. You could do a playthrough where you just kill everybody in the wasteland, and that's your playthrough. With Fallout 3, you can't do that. There are so many characters that are essential to the story. 
have to move the story forward and they don't give you an option that you can complete this quest any other way. But New Vegas, you can. You can just, if you don't like somewhere, you simply just like, I wonder what would happen if you can do that. They give you the option to just do whatever you want, which is, I love that so much. Yeah, I, th- I think something that's always weirded me out about 3D's design is like, you know, you're supposed to be a, in charge of like your wastelander and like make all the choices that you know you feel fit that character but the role playing is severely limited because killing people and like going with like a bad karma character just doesn't add up because in the end like you reach the same ending of Mm -hmm. that story no matter what like all that changes is like a voiceover narrative that says like oh people remember you fondly or they don't remember you fondly Mm -hmm. and like what's so cool about new vegas is like there's like three different factions like that you can help out like four different endings that mm-hmm. you can get and like the variations of those endings are just like every qu- every quest that you do every side quest whatever the outcome is if it was like an important side quest it will show up in the main game ending and like basically relate that to what happens like there was like quests you can go on where you're like you do a quest and you the outcome of this quest is you know xyz and then at the end of the game it tells you like since you did this you know this changes and this happened because you made that and i'm like what really like it's awesome and it's it's incredible like player choice just feels so real in new vegas and Mm -hmm. i mean like if people are gonna call it uh like a reskin fallout 3 then it's the best reskin mod i've ever seen in my life yeah (laughs) it's like a high budget like and it's much better in my opinion like Oh my God. I think it's yes. endlessly replayable. I'm having yes. a blast doing that right now. I've been, I've been playing it for... When I first played it was 2012, I think. Mm. I've been playing it for eight years. Like, just over and over and over again. I'm not bored of it yet. Because with the... In the you know, with mods even. Some of the mods... Like, the community around New Vegas is such the most, like, wholesome, pure community ever. That they create lore-friendly, like, story quest mods that work that you can play and they have quality of life improvements where they like your the game won't crash as much or you know they do weapon retextured packs and they just add all kinds of stuff in there to make it even more replayable but the vanilla game itself you could play 200 times mm-hmm. and not get bored of it before you start using mods there's so much there's in so there. much i i think it would probably take you like 300 hours to like do everything that new I, vegas has to offer which I've is probably insane. played over 300 hours and <laughs> there's still things that i just haven't done like i that i know i can do but just haven't chose to do because there's so much more that i wanted else that i want to do um and for example here's something really cool in the casino one of the casinos i just figured this out yesterday there is a uh an elevator in the tops that is locked and you need a key. So I searched the room but couldn't find the key. And I, I just kept thinking, I'm like, I have no idea where this key could be. I'll just Google it real quick. Where's the key to the sub-basement elevator? Turns out you can win the key from the hotel by winning 7,500 chips in the casino. Really? So that encourages the player to actually go and play blackjack and play roulette and play the slots machine and and gamble basically uh and to get these 7500 chips and then they'll give you the key to that elevator and then you get to see what's down there it's <laughs> things like that that's so cool like you know like reflecting on the game i, I think i want to say I, there is one thing that i'll never do in fallout new vegas sadly mm. um I'm never going to learn how to play Caravan. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
that that is that yes that is a phrase that can be said by anybody who's ever played the game bro we just peaked the mic so much <laughs> that's that. okay well i uh i have been playing a lot of video games but you know in preparation for this episode like i mostly watched movies related to david fincher but it is the week of christmas and i did i did get my my jollies up as they say my jolly holidays <laughs> um and i had a bit of a double feature yesterday i watched uh muppets christmas carol okay. and um klaus have you seen klaus i have not oh my god it is delightful okay. it's just like i don't know how to describe it other than just saying it's warm and like makes me feel good right. and just like it's this like 2.5d style of animation that yeah. just looks amazing and yeah. it's got a great cast too which i'm surprised it's so good because um you know my girlfriend and i looked it up after like the movie was over like who who did this and it's the guy behind despicable me and smallfoot yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what <laughs> i don't i don't know i, I it, it got nominated for academy award though or did it win the academy award for it didn't i mean anytime a disney or pixar movie comes oh, out like true. it always loses i and i don't remember what even came out last year but i guarantee oh frozen 2 oh, I, yeah. I i i bet it lost to frozen 2 i don't remember <laughs> with certainty I don't either like that feels like a year ago the right? oscars but Wait. I do know that it, it was nominated and there was a lot of talk about it. Um, I never did see Frozen 2 either. It's, but not, it's not worth it. Really? Well, I didn't. Uh-oh, Frozen 2 hot take. Uh, well, I mean, I don't... If this is a hot take, I'm sorry, but like, it's not even as good as the first one. And I don't really enjoy the first one that much. Um, they disproved the infamous Tarzan theory, which I thought was way more interesting than the, what the actual story in Frozen oh, 2 was. like the, the theory that the, like the their parents, parents end up being Tarzan's parents. Yeah. Like, that's uh, funny that like so many people <laughs> like, you know, push that forward and it ended up being more interesting than whatever answers they had. Literally. Like, yeah. It was, it was because when I started watching it, um, I was like, oh, the story's about her parents and then there's this whole story about it and I'm like mm. and then the creator came out and basically said like I'm sorry that that's not true we uh, we didn't know that it, the pictures look so much alike uh, sometimes we reuse things and I'm just like you you could have just silly. leaned into it you could have yeah. just leaned into it and made I don't know so by the way I was wrong I fact checked myself Toy Story 4 is the Disney Pixar sequel that, that ended one, up winning yeah. the Oscars Frozen 2 wasn't even nominated. It it, oh, really? it was nominated for Into the Unknown. Like oh, the for song. best original yeah. song and yeah. then that was it. But I mean, seriously, watch Klaus. Really okay. really delightful like and also Christmas is coming up. Also, you cannot go wrong with Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, I mean, just definitely. like any of those 90s Muppets movies, like they're not masterpieces or anything, but like I don't know. I grew up with them and they're still so, so enchanting like i especially love muppet treasure island that's like, what i was that, about to say that's my favorite one was that's muppet the best island. one like, yeah and the thing that's so endearing about those movies is like the actors in them uh-huh. are like giving like their oscar worthy performances <laughs> to like the muppets like tim yeah. curry is like killing it yeah. <laughs> in treasure island and michael Caine's all like mm, i love christmas so much thank you Kermit the frog you really taught me how to change my life <laughs> so to change my life give Tony Tim my best <laughs> was that a pretty bad Michael Caine 
<laughs> it was an alright Michael Caine. I, I actually, it's not, it's not well, too bad. I once met this guy who had a tangerine. <laughs> who had a tangerine. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> he was looking for tangerines. He was, he was looking for a tangerine, and I said, "You are in the wrong part of this Walmart." <laughs> of this Walmart. Oh gosh. Anyway. <laughs> David Michael. Fincher uh, made a movie. <laughs> he made 12 movies, I think. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> but very recently, he uh, he decided he made after movie. six years yeah. that he was done messing around with Netflix shows. He's yeah. like, I'm going to make... Well, I'm going to make a movie that I was going to make 20 years ago, but didn't get to. And that's Mank. That's um, Mank. Which is about the... Uh, the co-author of Citizen Kane and is based on this controversy that was brought forward in the 70s that um, Orson Welles had maybe tried to cheat uh, Herman Mankiewicz out of uh, a screenwriting credit. Um, And needless to say, it's a very interesting choice for the director because uh, he's marked by mostly thrillers uh, in his his catalog, (laughs) you know? Yeah. and honestly, he's one of my favorite directors, like, mm-hmm. ever. Like, yeah. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I think that um, in today's episode, we're going to kind of, like, talk about him, you know, his style, like, his perfectionism, and yes. then get into Mank. Like, I feel like that's a, a very relevant uh, subject right now. And then maybe we could rank. Maybe uh, Maybe we could rank all them boys. I, I'll, I'll admit that I haven't seen uh, The Curious Incident of Benjamin Button, or... Is it the Curious Case? Curious Case. Oh, I'm thinking of Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. <laughs> great play, great book. Um, and I haven't seen Alien Three. Okay. I've actually always stopped watching the series to the point of Aliens. I mean, I watched Prometheus and Covenant, but mm-hmm. those don't count. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right. Crap. Um, but anyway, what's so interesting about Fincher is like, I don't think there's anyone in Hollywood who seems to like have such a specific vision and then like do as many takes or like or do what it takes to like capture it perfectly like i heard this interview with tyler perry who's like surprisingly good in gone girl oh my god yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) i always forget he's in there and then when i rewatch gone girl i see him and i'm like oh my god and he's doing an amazing job he's a fantastic (laughs) dramatic actor um but he was talking about his his directorial style versus david fincher's and he was like so we were doing one scene and we did 30 takes for it and it was like a minute long scene. And for the Medea movies, what I do is 30 takes is like the whole movie. movie like that's yeah. all it takes to get there. And I think that's so telling of mm-hmm. like David Fincher's like style and like standard versus yeah. like a lot of other directors. Like I think most directors in Hollywood would probably give it like a good three or four and then call yeah. it you know other than like a very difficult scene to shoot mm-hmm. like i don't see why they would take so long and i don't know i've just always found him really fascinating for yeah. that reason just what a perfectionist he is do you think that works in his favor or? uh definitely because he's a perfectionist he he's looking for like i heard uh on um one interview he said like by uh by take 20, 20 or 25, the actors are actually ready to 
like really give their real real performance and they're out of their head they're out of everything um which and i've heard some directors sounds like such an absurd number of takes to get to that point i know know? and i i mean i've heard um some directors disagree vehemently with with doing multiple takes like i mean you have the infamous um story of uh stanley kubrick with uh his uh, amount of takes um especially in the shining with the actress uh, i forget her name shelly duvall shelly duvall you know she's quite literally suffered from that mm-hmm. film set with how many takes they did of um she had like hair loss and like major yeah. stress issues like on set like it it, it sounds pretty bad but right actually. um but you never i don't think david fincher takes it to that like level of like extremism where you know he's doing like i think like the record number in the shining was like near to a hundred you know takes of like mm-hmm. a scene but like Fincher's like, yeah, you know, 30, 35 is a good, which that's still a lot. That is, that is a lot of work. But the actors always seem to admire him because, um, you know, he could do like all this hard work. But then when the movie comes out, I know that every time, with the exception of Alien 3, because we'll get into that production yeah. history. But I know that when David Fincher comes out with a movie, I know that it's exactly what he, what he wanted because it's I, his vision He's a perfectionist, so I know that when that movie releases, it is releasing the way he intended to make it, way he intended to do it, everything. So when I watch it, I'm like, wow, the takes paid off because this actor's doing brilliantly. You know, these shots are immaculate. Like everything is like perfect here. And I know it's the basically the the outcome of him wanting everything to be just perfect because I can tell he's like somebody who sees everything in his head and he's like, I, it has to be this way. I want it to be this way. And then you best not argue with him, I guess, because uh, he knows what he's talking about. You know, he's got 10 films that'll back him up on that. I, I think like one of the most fascinating things about Fincher in terms of his, like uh, the performances he gets out of people is like, there are a lot of actors that I don't really care for it that when they're in a Fincher movie, like, they're marvelous and i mean like mm-hmm. we've already talked about tyler perry yeah um but i think another great example is jared leto like he's been in fight club and uh, panic room a lot more prominently in mm-hmm. panic room and he's giving fantastic performances in each of yeah. those movies like it i think fincher is one of those directors that actually knows how to play to his actors like strengths because mm-hmm. i think with with act, character actors like Jared Leto, they often get like misused and like uh, some idiot, you know, maybe uh, the director of Suicide Squad, for example, <laughs> um, will just let them like have free reign yeah. um, to to the point where it's detrimental to the film. And I think that like Fincher's like tight control over like the the performances, the script, like all this stuff. I think that all comes together and like really helps like these actors like get the exact right performance like i think even edward norton is a good example of like someone who is very hit or miss whenever he's in a movie and he's absolutely brilliant in um fight club yeah i think that's all because of fincher like i think that's just so fascinating that like he can take things that um you know, might have gone astray yeah. in, in any other movie and, like, really, like, channels it to its full potential, mm-hmm. you know? What what I think, speaking on his actors in the movie Gone Girl, uh, the character of Go, um, 
uh, ben Affleck's character's sister. I forget. What's his name? Do you remember Ben Affleck's uh, uh, character's name in Gone Girl? No, I'm thinking Ben Dunn, but I don't yeah. think that's right. <laughs> no. Uh, it's been a while. Since it's I've been a while. It. Either way, Go, the character of Go is sister. You know what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Great actress. Great performance in that movie. That was like her like first really? role. Like serious role. Yeah. she. I think, I think I read she had only been in like a couple short films and... Um, like commercials and stuff. But, uh, so when she was on set, you know, Fincher was like trying to give her direction and she was like, David, I don't know what the hell you're saying to me. Like, I don't know any terms. Like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. Like, I don't understand any of this film talk. Like, you know, cause you know, on the set they're shouting different things and they're saying, you know, do this, do that. But they all have their own code for everything. It's like film set language. She didn't understand any of it. And sometimes she didn't understand what David Fincher was saying to her. And she was like, you're going to have to tell me. So he would like work with her and then basically, you know, craft this like performance with her. And it turned out like she's one of my favorite characters in that movie because it's so damn convincing. Um, and she did great. And I think that that is a testament to like, Fincher's directing style mm-hmm. with doing the amount of takes and just I wish I could just be on set while he's like directing his actors like because I just want to know what he tells them you know because it's great you know the only the only person like because now you mentioned Gone Girl like the only person that I can't think of that he got a good performance out of is um Neil Patrick Harris which I don't think that's his fault I think that was just a horribly miscast um Role. And I mean, even then, it's not that bad. Like, I think in the context of the movie, it plays out pretty okay. I just mm-hmm. think knowing what Neil Patrick Harris is in real life just detracts from that. Right, right. You know? I don't know. I, I think... I thought it was creepy enough. I don't really like Neil Patrick Harris as an actor at all, really. I don't take him seriously. I don't like... I, I think he's either. fine in, like, comedies. Like, I, I don't know. He's got great comedic timing, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, I just... As a dramatic actor, I don't, I don't buy I mean, it. What I think is so weird about Neil Patrick Harris is that in Gone Girl, I didn't. I just thought I literally laughed several times when he was on screen because I just thought his character was funny, just because like I guess the dramatic irony of like the situation he's in, and then just like everything he does is just so comedic to me that I'm like, is he meaning to do this? Is this a serious thing? I'm like, I don't think it is. I think I just find Neil Patrick Harris yeah. funny. Like I don't know. Um, I totally get that. Like weird, I, weird stuff. I just can't take him seriously. But um, it's very interesting, like how over the years, like David Fincher has proved himself a master at suspense. But yet, in um his most recent movie, he's he's kind of broken away from that. Um, mm. Mank, which just came out, is not in any way uh, the traditional thriller that Fincher's done. And I mean, I know that there's Benjamin Button, which is more of a dramatic romance kind of movie. Definitely. But Mank is the first one that I've seen from him that didn't have me, like, on the edge of my seat. Yeah. And that was kind of an interesting change of pace. Um, I... I know that this is a passion project for him because, you know, his father died yeah. uh, after he wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. and they never got around to filming it, you know, when they wanted to. So this is like something like a 30-year-old script now being put to film. And it's very interesting to watch from mm-hmm. that regard because it's surprisingly modern feeling. Yes. It's like, it, I mean, th- you've seen it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I loved it. 
Like I, um, it's definitely not for everybody. There's, mm-hmm. um, I was telling a couple people about it that you really need to kind of brush up on your history of old Hollywood of like names, um, because you know the names that you'll hear in your cinema history class are characters in the movie, which I think is awesome. I kind of like squealed like a little girl, I'm like ah oh, yeah, I know who that is. I know who this is like, uh, but um, and and it's about Citizen Kane, like. I mean, how much more meta can you get? I don't know. It's like it's, like, it's the ultimate Hollywood, yes. uh, about Hollywood movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, it's interesting because while you do need to brush up on like your Hollywood history, mm-hmm. I think you also need to brush up on your history history. Like a yeah. su- surprising chunk of the movie is about Upton Sinclair, you know, yes. author of The Jungle. Like, <laughs> I didn't know that he would factor into it at all, but like... His yeah. his race against uh, Frank Miriam in like 1934 is just like a pivotal plot point, and mm-hmm. I, I had no idea because Citizen Kane is written after yeah. that election. So you're uh, just like watching the movie mm-hmm. the whole time and wondering like, if, and if you're not caught up on like the significance of a, a, a radical person like Upton Sinclair, you're like, what does any of this mean? Yeah. <laughs> like. It all informs the writing of Citizen Kane, though, which is what mm-hmm. I think is genius about that about Mank is that um, it's basically it's explaining important. to you how it got there, you know. And what what's very interesting is that it definitely is going for a parallel to Citizen Kane's mm-hmm. storytelling. Like they create Mank as like the the Citizen Kane like protagonist because they're jumping back in time to like when he was younger and like how like some of these ideas came to him like his interactions with William Randolph Hearst who I was just thinking about this the other day like Charles Dance has actually worked with David Fincher before because yeah. he's in Alien 3 he like is, I yeah. always forget that uh-huh. like <laughs> that was like one of his earlier movies I just always see Charles Dance and I'm like you started existing when you played Tywin <laughs> Lannister and that's it but <laughs> no i love charles dance like no and he's so great he in the movie so great yeah i think that's probably one of the best things about the movie is that like every performance is incredible like mm-hmm. i i have always been a gary oldman like lover <laughs> I, yeah he's yeah. my favorite actor by mm-hmm. far and like i think it's just because he's such a chameleon like Mm-hmm. And in and, and this role, like, he instantly, like, sinks in. Like, I didn't know who Herman J. Mankiewicz was, but, like, as soon as Gary Oldman started playing him, I'm like, I, I figure he looked a little bit like that and acted a little bit like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's some nice stuff right there with Gary Oldman. <laughs> Gary Oldman. But it's not just Gary Oldman. I mean, like, uh, Amanda Seyfried is probably in one of the best roles i've seen her in in a long time like she absolutely nails like this 40s starlet vibe that they're giving her um i can't remember the the actress's name marion something (laughs) Uh, i don't i don't know but she she absolutely kills it Um, a lot of unknown actors actually are in this movie and the guy who played orson wells though can we talk about how like he nailed the voice i know and he looked like him. I mean, I'm, that's probably on you know makeup and effects yeah. side. But honestly, just like his whole like aura, I was like, that is Orson Welles. He's back from the dead, and he's in this movie. It's insane. It his voice was like the number one thing that I kept coming back to. Like, 
I, mm-hmm. I guarantee you one of those wired videos that talk about like movie dialects is going to be talking about, about yeah. this performance. And I mean, like, it's funny because I think that Orson Welles is like definitely one of the like stronger imitations in the movie. But I think it's also maybe one of the movie's weaker points is like Mank is such a serious film but when the Orson Welles aspect comes into it, it becomes like comical to mm. me. I don't know. Like he's he's just so like over the top in this movie, and it and it was kind of disheartening to see because the controversy about Orson Welles being a like an attention seeking screenwriter has been disproved in rec- like not even in recent years in the seventies when the controversy first came up that Orson Welles was potentially trying to steal credit away from Mm -hmm. Mankiewicz like it came out from good sources like people who worked on the movie that that wasn't actually the case like he and Mankiewicz wrote separate screenplays and then it was Orson who ended up combining the two but he Mm -hmm. wasn't trying to screw Mankiewicz out of credit he he was always going to get credit so that was a bit of a fabrication and it's one that the movie pushes forth and I think to its detriment because uh it's just kind of hilarious to see Orson Welles like laughing it up like so comically like at him like there's a point where Manx's in like a hospital bed and Orson starts going <laughs> like that you know yeah. and it's just it feels a bit silly because the script is like 30 years old and I know if your dad writes a screenplay and yeah. he dies and you don't get to film it you don't touch the screenplay or anything but it just feels like outdated in a way that it didn't really need to be. Yeah. Or at least that was my main problem with it, is like, for such a historically accurate and rich movie, it felt like where the conflict came in, or like where the controversy that they wanted to like mainly address came in, that they didn't handle it the best way they could, or like they just didn't bring the kind of attention to detail and like love that they brought to the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, de- I, I think that's maybe one thing that people are going to be confused by when they come into it is they're going to expect more of that controversy and it's actually more about just how yeah. the ideas for the screenplay came to be. I, and I, I think, I mean, what you're saying is, is I, I agree with. I also think maybe um, the reason, because I read that when when Fincher first like read this, his father's script, when he gave him like a first draft, he was like... Fincher didn't like it at all because he was like on the side of like, you know, Orson Welles is a genius, you know, Citizen Kane was like his idea and everything. And his dad didn't think so. His dad was on the other side of the controversy. And I think over time, Fincher learned to love the script. And so I think he did, he might have, even if Fincher still does disagree with his father's opinion on it, I don't think he would change it just no, into, yeah. just, you know, out of, uh, sincerity to the to this father's own like work and i think maybe that's that's why he just made it like as is which could be could be hurtful could be not could just people could look past it i don't know um i just i definitely do think that like of all the aspects of this movie like the the cinematography the performance the directing like it's all fantastic i think that the weakest element does end up being the script a lot of the times because Mm. I think a letterboxed review put it best for me. It's the sexy kind of boring. We're yeah. like, 
you know, if you follow along, like, you mm-hmm. can be really intrigued by it. But, like, the movie is definitely working against itself by starting off so disoriented, I feel like. Yeah. Like, it, I, I don't know if you experienced this, but when when I first started watching it for, like, at least, like, 30 minutes, I felt like kind of I'd been dropped into a movie, like, an hour late. Yeah, that's what Maybe. a lot of people have said, that it's kind of, it starts in the middle of just, you know crazy stuff and I kind of felt the same way I was having trouble finding my footing but once I did I thoroughly enjoyed the rest of the ride mm-hmm. and I mean can we talk about that I mean I don't want to talk about it too much I don't want to spoil it but let's just that dinner party scene that I keep thinking about that like I with know the, with the bet and with everything going on like or oh no you're talking about the, the, the dinner party dinner not, at the end when he yeah. comes in drunk and then he's like he tells the story of the the organ uh what was it the organ the, the pipe organ <laughs> oh crap the monkey in the pipe organ or something like that i don't know it's, that story it was riveting at the yeah, time I know. trust me i had my full attention <laughs> listen guys our memories are not the best but trust me the scene is killer <laughs> like all the dinner party scenes like honestly all of the times that there was food and or drink involved. I know, right? It was a riveting movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Especially when um, uh, they're all... They're for the birthday scene around the middle of the movie and they're mm-hmm. all sitting there. And, and the dialogue in this movie, though, I think the strongest part about the script is the dialogue. Yes. Everything. Every line said by a character is the wittiest thing I've ever heard. It's so it's, sharp. Yes. I, like, Mank himself is, like, just pulling all these, like, classic... Like phrases, like these French phrases, these mm-hmm. Latin phrases, these like old parables, Cervantes uh, like poems. Like mm-hmm. he's just so well like versed, versed yeah. in like everything, and like you can feel it just like popping off the page. That like this person's brilliant, and then it's done even better by like the actors mm-hmm. who just take it to the next level. Like I absolutely love all the scenes where people are talking to each other. Yeah. It's just fascinating yeah like even even boring things like the well not boring but like something that you would think of as less exciting like Mm -hmm. the politics of like mgm studios was made exciting by like the 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 banter between mank and like the people around him and the studio heads it's just so interesting and and i think that's something that the movie could have used a lot more of is maybe just like these like very dialogue heavy conversations because a lot of times it did feel like they would opt away from that mm-hmm. and instead go for like showing and not telling. Like, yeah. I'm not sure that we needed to see the car accident that um, it broke his leg. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like that could have been a dialogue as well. But, right. I mean, that's just getting nitpicky at that point, yeah. I guess. But I don't know. It's 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 a good nitpick where I'm like, I wanted to see more of that because it was so well done. Like, yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with you. The dialogue is like one of the best parts. Right, I, I'm I'm definitely rewatching it. Like I'm gonna rewatch it sometime soon because uh, I definitely know I missed a couple things mm-hmm. in there, and I want to go back and, and rewatch it. And uh, I don't know, man. I loved it. I even it's not it's not Fincher's best. I don't know. Um, but my God, he knows how to basically navigate genres. You know, it was so interesting to see him take on like a hollywood biopic and mm-hmm. i think that he's proven himself just a master filmmaker because this is a hell of a hollywood biopic right? you know like yeah i think the concept of a biopic is 
usually pretty hit or miss and yeah, yeah. to see someone of Fincher's caliber take it on and do it so well it just I I'm excited for anything the guy does yeah, yeah. um it, it yeah it's interesting you say it's not his best because I feel like even though I have such positive feelings for it I think when we do our ranking here in a second um it's probably gonna come up shorter than I would like it to but it's just because he's got such a solid body of work yeah um I mean, I don't see why we shouldn't just get into that. I mean, uh, do you want to go from worst to best, my guy? I feel like that's kind of the best way to tackle this, maybe. Right. I did, um, yeah, there are some things that I want to say about each movie, though. I feel like this is the yeah. best way to kind of get into, like, you know, how he uh, directs each movie and uh, just some cool little things. Because I really, I mean, there's a there's a documentary on Alien Three that I really want to watch, but I cannot find it. Apparently, it's only in the Alien uh, quadrilogy set, which I have, but my Blu-ray player is not working right oh, now. Oh no! So I need to get a new Blu-ray player so I can watch this documentary. Man, thing. just come over here. I've got a PlayStation <laughs> Four right there. Plays Blu-rays, dude. Because we need to watch. Because it's like a, it's like a two-hour documentary talking about how. Uh, the studio basically meddled. For those of you who don't know, I mean, you probably know Alien Three is a disaster of a movie, and uh, David Fincher. It was his directorial debut. Before Fincher had even done any movies, he did commercials and music videos. That's what yeah. he was famous for. Lots of commercials, lots of music videos, and then they let him do Alien Three. And you know, he had a specific vision, but then you know, there are like six writers on this movie, um, and then the studio gets involved. They kind of muck it up a little bit. Uh, and then by the end, uh, Fincher t- basically disowns the film. He's like, I don't, I don't want it. This is all. This is not my vision. This is not what I wanted. Want to be attached. To my it. story changed like two or three times. Um, so yeah, just really interesting. But you know, let's uh, let's get into this. Let's get into this ranking here of Fincher films. Oh yeah, um, I I'll have to say that. This is surprising to me because I watched this movie for the first time this week and I think it's his worst, but I don't think it's a bad movie at Mm -hmm. all. Like, Panic Room. Panic Room? I think that the thing with Panic Room is, like, it's very tense and it's it's got wonderful performances. Like, I think David Yoakum, who I mainly knew as a country singer before seeing Panic Room, is, like, incredibly, like, intimidating in that movie. Jared Leto gives a really great performance, and Forrest Whitaker actually is like killing it. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I saw like a performance of his that I took very seriously. I'm, I I just can't help but think of like his Rogue One performance, like oh it's a squid, it will read your mind, <laughs> like that stuff's so bad, and it's it doesn't represent his like serious acting chops like at all. Yeah, and. I- even his role in Black Panther, I didn't like enjoy no, even didn't, that much. I it's didn't such love a it. small role, too. I don't know. I, I mean, like he doesn't ham it up too much or anything, but yeah. like it, it's a very tight like movie in that sense. Like I, I really like the performances, like Jodie Foster and Kristen Stewart. Also, like Kristen Stewart as a child, killing it. By yeah, the way. like great yeah. stuff there. I think the thing is, it's just, like, the script is not necessarily my favorite that he's ever done. Like, it's very tense and, Mm. like, cat and mouse, and I enjoy that a lot about it. But, like, I think compared to, like, a lot of his other movies, like, it just hasn't got that, like, special stuff 
that yeah. like really elevates it, you know. And he said Panic Room was never meant to be anything more than just a fun romp. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, yeah. it's just a fun movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think for um, I guess that would be my like second um, right. I get my obviously my last worst venture movie is Alien Three, but I, I really don't even want to do that to him to consider it on his list. But it's yeah, it's down the there. Man disowns it. You know? Yeah, I guess I guess I'll go with Panic Room towards the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Um, not his best, but not as what like I don't think the guy has any bad movies per se. No, if no. you're not counting Alien Three as uh, you know. That's and I hear even movie. the assembly cut of Alien Three maybe I've heard that's saves way it way better. Yeah. So I, yeah. I I need to see Alien Three, and I reckon I would probably end up seeing that cut of the film. Um, yeah, Panic Room is solid, but just not my favorite. What What about you? What What's another one lower on your list? Um. So let's lower. I think. This is hard because like I I absolutely love you know all these movies. I think I think I'm gonna have to put Benjamin Button next. Mm, I still haven't seen that. So but Benjamin, I have heard it's a bit boring. Boring. That's what I've heard. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's boring at all. Okay. Well, I that's... think it's a very captivating film. It's it's a very weird concept. I think. The first hour and a half of the movie are a little bit more riveting than the last, you know, 45 or the last hour. Because the first hour and a half, uh, they get them from the age of like, um, I'm sure everybody knows, but the movie's basically about somebody born old and they age kind of backwards. Mm-hmm. They get them from that like age of like 80 down to like uh, 55. And you see all of that in great detail, you know, his life. And then the last hour of the movie, he goes from 55 until his death. And you're like, I feel like I didn't know him there, but I feel like I know him as an old man. I just wish if the movie, if the movie's already two hours and 45 minutes long, if it's going to be, you know, that long, they might as well have stretched it another hour to show me more of yeah, his like younger like days. Irishman like. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause there's a whole sequence in the film where he goes, like he goes and travels for like. 15 years and I'm like we didn't see any of that that would have been really interesting to see um such a weird movie I think the most impactful and profound minutes of the movie are the first 20 and the last 10 uh but you can't have those moments without seeing like the middle piece of the movie I really liked it like I don't know it when I was about to watch it, I thought, "How can Fincher like make this his own?" And then, and then it starts, and I'm like, "Okay, I kind of see this." Um, I guess really, you know, multiple people could have directed Benjamin Button, but nobody mm-hmm. could have directed. It's the same thing I said about Mank. Anybody could have directed it. Nobody could have directed it better than David Fincher, though. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I liked it, but it's not. It's definitely not my favorite of his. Um, but yeah, Brad Pitt was great. So was Kate Blanchett. Um, oh, he usually does great stuff yeah. with Brad Pitt for sure. Yeah. Um, I I think that like next I would put, and this might be a little bit controversial, but I'm thinking like the game, bro. I, I was know. gonna put that a little higher on my list because that movie is amazing. It's really good. I just for me, I'm like not so much into like the kind of like gotcha style ending mm-hmm. that it's got and it in my head it kind of like 
makes the rest of the movie less enjoyable to watch on like a subsequent like rewatch but like that's not to discredit the game at all because yeah. like it's a very good gotcha ending and it's a very intense like build up to that like I don't know. I really love it. Like Michael Douglas and Sean Penn are especially oh, very good in that movie. I was movie. so convinced they were actually blood related in that movie because, like, they're. I just there's something about the, their performances together. I'm like, they they are brothers in real life. Yeah, <laughs> like, like it's really good. I would. So that would be like my my second like lowest of the ones I've seen and 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 taken to consideration that I haven't seen Alien Three. And I haven't seen Benjamin Button. Right. And it's just like the rest of these movies are just really solid. But yeah. I think the game is probably like at that point for me. What would it be like on your list? Like, are you thinking like top three even? Or No, not top three, but definitely, um, I don't know. I feel like, here's something interesting about the game. The, I've heard some people think the game is like one big giant joke. It's a joke that David Fincher just played like on everybody because, and I can kind of see how it is. Like it's a, uh, like some people are like this. This movie is like a straight up comedy. Like it's David Fincher playing a joke on like theater audiences, on like basically you know, the industry I guess. Um, which is really interesting if you think about it. If you think about it, like it it's kind of campy in places and it's mm-hmm. kind of and it's got that gotcha ending where you're like. And then you look at who directed it, and you're thinking, my first thought was like, is this a joke? And then, but I'm like, that movie is, this movie is so good, though it's done so well. And I started thinking, like, I think it's like a writer's joke. It's like an inside joke among, like, writers. Because it reminds me, like, you you basically see this dude's character arc. You know, I remember one of the ending lines was, uh, was uh, we were worried about you there for a minute, buddy. It's like... The whole point of a story is to see characters grow, and it's like the the people who played this giant, you know, prank on him was basically just to accelerate his like character arc to become a good person, you know? Yeah, it's, it's really, very meta. In yes, that no, yeah. I really like that aspect of it, and I don't know, maybe I need to rewatch it with that kind of like lens mm-hmm. of like it maybe being like an industry joke or like a meta thing, because I I like it a lot. I just yeah. Right now in my in my head, like a lot of these other movies kind of outrank it in terms of my enjoyment. Right. But. I think um, for my spot there, I think it probably... Th- this might be a bit controversial. It probably is going to be a little bit... Co- I think seven really? is going to go a little bit lower. Yeah. Because um, can you remember anything in that movie besides the last... 30 minutes oh so much because honestly seven's in my top three i love seven like i love it from the intro with the trent reznor music like Mm -hmm. that you bring me closer to god (laughs) and like all that stuff yeah and then you know brad pitt and gwyneth paltrow like live by that like train that's insufferable i love that like morgan freeman's got his little like library study that he goes to i don't know i think seven's actually one of my favorite venture movies so i'm gonna counter you okay and say that while the last 30 minutes are very exciting and usually what people remember, I think the whole film is well-crafted and well-paced, but, like, I I totally get what you're saying. Like, yeah. The, all the, like, most of the, like, excitement and the chase mm-hmm. uh, happens, like, towards the end, but you forget, like, there is a ton of stuff in the middle of the movie. Like, they almost catch him at one point, and he's wearing, like, that black, like, trench coat, and I'm just thinking yeah. of some of my favorite shots from that movie 
like Brad Pitt like out in the rain and like this mystery like gunman has his like gun up to his head and like you don't know what he's doing because he lets Brad Pitt go and Mm -hmm. it's like what is going on here yeah and just all these like killings like you know I'm not a gore hound or anything but in seven I love just like as you go from kill to kill like how creative like the next one yeah. is gonna be i know? do remember the the lust one the yeah. lust kill is ingrained in my memory and and so is uh gluttony that one was pretty horrific to see and sloth uh, sloth was yeah no all of them all of them i if i like give it enough thought i'm just like oh my god that's so brutal and like yeah the one where the guy's still alive is like the one i always think about for sure yeah like, and he's uh it's crazy no, I, I see what you're saying. I just maybe I haven't. I've only seen seven maybe twice. I yeah. probably need, and it's been a while, so I probably need to give another watch. But every time I think of seven, I always think of what's in the box. What's in the box? Like I always, I, mean, I always think of that. Like that's and it's a, a great part. Riveting scene. Like it's a whole sequence is amazing. Um, and if you haven't seen seven, go watch seven. Obviously, but yeah, I just I think there's um, there are. Every other Fincher movie, you know, above seven, I enjoy way more than seven, I think. Okay. Uh, even despite... Man, that's like my number two. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so what's your what's your next, like, lowest? I'd put Mank next. But Man- like, I'm going to put Mank next, too, you know, yeah. Mank, Mank is great, but I don't think Mank holds, like, the, the same, like, uh, gravitas that I would say mm-hmm. that the rest of the Fincher movies do. And we're like getting to some really good stuff next. And I mean, we've talked about Mank. I think it's a great movie. Um, I think Fincher solidified himself as a really great director. I'm glad to see him doing features again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think after Mank, maybe at this point, anything's going to piss people off. Because <laughs> these right? are all like movies that people point to and they say this is his best. But I think it's because it's been so long since I've seen it, so I don't even feel fair ranking it here. I think Social Network <gasps> is next. Yeah. I, and, okay, I need to rewatch it because Definitely in my head, not. like, I think about how great um, Jesse Eisenberg is in the movie, how sharp the dialogue is, the Aaron Trent Reznor score. Oh, is my God. Incredible. Yeah. Like, The Hall of the Mountain King is, like, that's one of my favorite versions of that song and that sequence with those brothers, like, rowing is great. I just haven't seen it in so long that, like, these other movies are much fresher in my head. Yeah. And I and I think of them first. But I think Social Network is definitely where Fincher proved, oh, I don't have to do thrilling crime drama. I mean, sure, he it, the subject of the movie is a war criminal, uh, as we know now. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he doesn't have to, like, go for that, like, standard, like, murder or like robbery like type of film he can just have this captivating movie about like the birth of like a social media empire what where would you put like social network if so um well not okay so here's where i'm at alien 3 is the worst then it's panic room Mm -hmm. then we got benjamin button then we have mank then i would put the game i'd put the game right above mank um yeah i would so yeah that that's five right there so um we're in the top six here okay Mm -hmm. so or i'm sorry i missed one it was i put seven lower than so it was panic room uh benjamin button seven the game then make 
Sorry, okay. that's my okay. Wow. Okay. So right before Mank, yeah. Um, so what would you do next? Yeah. I would. I'm gonna go ahead and say the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, I, I gotta disagree with you again, but I understand. I, uh, you know, I was thinking it was between putting that or Fight Club there. Um, <gasps> Not Fight Club. Yeah, Fight Club, dude. Because I mean, I love both of them to death. Let me tell you, the girl with the dragon tattoo. That movie is like my favorite like detective movie like now like ever like that's got the greatest mystery I think one of the greatest mysteries at least like ever it's it's based off of definitely my favorite like mystery thriller book the the original girl with the dragon tattoo book like hooked mm-hmm. me from like page ninety and it's like six hundred like something pages long <laughs> yeah. and it, it's such a fast read and what I love about the movie is it's so faithful and like adapts it so well like Lisbeth Salander and Michael Blomkvist are, are both done so well and like all the performances mm-hmm. really like Christopher Plummer yes. really kills it oh god um, yeah. Stellan Skarsgård is mm-hmm. fantastic although I will say in the movie he's a little bit more obvious than his book counterpart but like it's mm-hmm. totally fine <laughs> it's totally fine um, I just I love what he started doing and I think the biggest crime and something that will always hold that movie back for me is that he didn't get to do his trilogy. It I know. I so hate amazing. that. I think, I think Girl with the Dragon Tattoo would feel a lot more complete if we got mm-hmm. to see the movies that came next. But I will say the ending luckily gives you a bit of finality with Lisbeth like yeah. writing off like Just that. Just a bit. I, 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 I just hate studios <laughs> I, yeah. I hate hollywood for this reason that that fincher doing fincher doing a trilogy like my my favorite concept of film is like a trilogy of films that are like complete like it's a complete story and it's a journey it's why i love the you know like it's not a trilogy obviously but you know the harry potter series i love going yeah. on that journey i love the new planet of the apes trilogy the dark knight trilogy even though Everyone's not that great. Either way, you know, Lord of the Rings, Lord of like, the Rings, everything. I and he didn't get to do that. And David Fincher doing a trilogy would, li- I would just, I would explode. I well, the I, man said he would never do a sequel again after Alien Three, and he, and <sighs> in that instance, he did cast a curse on himself. And I guess so. Make I don't it know. So. I don't know, but I would have loved to to see. You know what's yeah. funny? Apparently he's doing World War Z 2 for Brad Pitt. Like, just as, like, a favor. He's going to direct that for Brad Pitt. Really? Like, what? I don't know <laughs> if that got canned already, but... I think I read just the other day that it got canned. Though. It probably got canned. Yeah. But, like, he was doing it for a while. He was like, yeah, I love Brad, so I'll do it for him. But <laughs> that just sounds like such a waste of, like, I know, David right? It's like World War Z 2. I don't know. Oh, uh, what's next? On I think list? I think after Social Network, you know, coming into like some of the top of the top, I'd put Zodiac next, okay. and I love I love Zodiac. Like I think that is such a fascinating like crime drama. Yeah, it's like so long, but it it goes by very quickly, regardless of that, yeah. and it's all so captivating, and it's got such great performances. Like this was before Robert Downey Jr. had his resurgence, but. Mm-hmm. He kills it in this. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo is great. Jake Gyllenhaal especially is a strong, strong like lead in this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, the, the the script is so good for Zodiac. And I, I think it's... Zodiac, to me, is the most Fincher movie of Fincher movies. 
like in my opinion because just everything about it the score the cinematography the 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 freaking the coloring the the editing and the color the lighting like everything it just screams David Fincher and mm-hmm. and the fact that it's you know it's so long I love that I love it so much I would literally I could watch if you threw it up on the screen right now man I'd watch it all the way through I love I could Zodiac. definitely go for some Zodiac and honestly I think maybe even after a rewatch it would be higher on the list but like I've only seen it the one time. Right. But that one time was such a fantastic mm-hmm. ride. Like, it just proves that David Fincher knows what he's doing. And honestly, greatest sense of unease I've ever felt from a yep. film. Like, he just really nailed, like, the like the unresolved nature of the Zodiac Killer. You know, just, like, how we don't know who it is. Yeah. But, you know, he really makes you feel tense anyway. Yeah. And it's, it's almost a shame when the movie ends and they don't have him, like, you're like, oh, I guess that's how history is, but Fincher mm-hmm. makes such a compelling movie that you, yeah. you kind of hope that they somehow defy history and catch yeah. the guy, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Zodiac, but I would say compared to these next uh, four movies, mm-hmm. I uh, I like them a little bit more. Where, where would you have Zodiac I, on your list? I think Zodiac's going uh, Zodiac's going a little bit higher because after Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I'm gonna have to say Fight Club is next. Uh, and Fight Club at number five for you? Yeah, well, number four technically. Oh right, you <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the alternating, and then you've seen more movies. Yeah, than me. sorry, makes it a little bit harder. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Fight Club, I mean, I like Fight Club, but now, I definitely need to rewatch Fight Club. It has okay. been a hot minute since I've watched it, um, but every video essay on YouTube I've watched, Fight Club always makes it way its way into there somehow. They always find a way to talk about Fight Club or something. They're like, for example, you know, Tyler Durden from Fight Club, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, I, mean, I get it's it. because it's right. a classic. It is it's a so classic. Good. I know, it's really good. I just, I, uh... I'm not gonna reveal where I'd put Fight Club on my list yet, but... Yeah, really, I definitely. Dude. I think. Well, there's these these three other movies I love infinitely more than Fight Club. I think, and I'm not, by the way, discrediting Fight Club. I also I love Fight Club. I think it's a great film. Yeah, but I like his these other three films way more than Fight Club. Okay, I think after Zodiac, um, that's when I'd have Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I just think that's gotcha. a really solid adaptation. And speaking. Of solid adaptations, I think that would take me into my top three here. Mm-hmm. Number three being Gone Girl. Gone I Girl. love Gone Girl. I love Gillian Flynn as a writer, um, and this is just one of the strongest like adaptations mm-hmm. ever. Like it seems like it improves on the plot of the book yeah. in a lot of places because it, it's so much uh, faster paced. You know, it, it's a long movie still. It's like yeah. two and a half hours, but. Yeah. God, Gone Girl is such a fast watch. I know. Like, it's, it's over in an instant. It's the most thrilling movie I've ever seen in my life. It, I love that movie to death. And, like, speaking of, like, just staying true to the book, like, what Fincher did is above and beyond because he got Gillian Flynn to come in and get even more specific yeah. with the plot of the book. You know, like... There's those amazing Amy books. Yeah. Uh, Fincher was like, you actually have to come up with titles for every single one. And she had to come up with 38 titles Damn. for him. Like, I think Gone Girl is definitely like the, the, the center of 
David Fincher's perfectionism mm. because in every aspect, every interview you hear about that movie, you're always going to hear about how much detail, how much work was put into it. Yeah. And it really, really pays off because it's so fucking good. Yes, it's... I can't, like... I'm gonna go ahead and spoil my ranking right now. Really? I this it like a lot of like debating in myself, but my top three, I'll go ahead and say, because you know, we've already spoken about all three of them. My top three. At number three, it's gonna be Zodiac. Okay. Then it's the social network. And I'll get into the social network in a second, but Gone Girl is number one. That is my favorite Fincher movie. Gone Girl is one of my favorite movies of all time. Gone Girl is a masterpiece <laughs> and anybody that says otherwise is on something because that movie is just like it's the most incredible story and and that mainly goes to you know Gillian Flynn the writer mm-hmm. of the book but also it's a test of it to how well Fincher adapts I mean he adapted uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo he's adapted Gone Girl I think he also adapted um, uh, shoot he adapted like another what was Fight Club is Fight an Club is an adaptation, yeah. dude. He's just a master at at. Um, just, I think even Social Network is technically based on a book, but that's it is Aaron it is. Sorkin's, and Aaron Sorkin like, yeah. kind of adapted that, and then they worked together on the screenplay, um, which and I love Aaron Sorkin. We'll have to get into him another day, but yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, Gone Girl, man, I can't gush about it enough. Everything that's the Ben Affleck's best performance. It's not Batman. Batman's not his best performance. No. It's Gone Girl. Gone Girl is his best performance. I think it's I think a, it's one of the only ones I really enjoy. Yeah. From the actor. Yeah. Like Ben Affleck is definitely someone I don't really mm-hmm. care for all I mean, much. you can I watch The Accountant and have fun, but you're not gonna care about him like, like you will in Gone Girl. Okay, if you wanna watch The Accountant, like that's like some <laughs> that's some stuff that should have gone straight to D V D in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. Did it go to th- oh, it did go to theaters. It did yeah. go to theaters. Oh. No, it was it was definitely one of those that was like, oh, he has autism and he's accounting and bad <laughs> and killing people. <laughs> I don't know. But that's like a whole nother beast, and I I haven't seen it in recent enough memory to like probably give it a fair run. But no, this it is definitely my stupid. favorite Ben Affleck performance. Yeah, this Rosamund Pike. Is oh, especially yes. amazing. Like she got a very well deserved Oscar from the like she won the Oscar, right? I'm not misremembering that. Did she win though? I have no idea. I believe she won for for. I definitely know she got she got, had to get nominated. Rosamund Pike. Yeah, she totally won. Sophie, look that up real quick. She, she's yeah, looking she's up. working on it. Yeah, she. Uh... Wait, hold on, Sophie. What's that? Gotta go to the IMDb page. Okay, okay. we're going. We're yeah, going to the IMDb always page. Always waiting on Sophie. Oh my god, she's so slow. We we're gotta kidding, fire her. Sophie. We love. Oh, uh, she was just nominated for she it. She was just nominated. Okay, oh, yeah, thank yeah, you, yeah, Sophie. Thank you. But she should have won. She should have won because that performance was great. That was a fantastic performance. Oh, uh, that was leading role. I there was probably some Oscar baity movie that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure if we went back to 2014. <laughs> There'd be some really solid movie that was competing with it, but right. whatever. whatever. You know, right now, for the sake of argument, terrible performance. <laughs> Rosamund Pike should have won. Justice for Pike, I'm telling you. I. Okay, your your top three is interesting because those were more in my top six. Right. Because I think after Gone Girl, 
I would definitely say seven is my second favorite. Gotcha. I love seven, but I know it's the easy choice. No, it's I know fine. it's what everyone loves. <laughs> I love Fight Club, and it's not just because the movie is a fantastic movie, and it's not just because it's the movie that got me into David Fincher. I think it's because it's the movie that got me into like, you know, movies. Yeah. Like, I I don't think before Fight Club that I was as interested in like seeing everything. And I know that's so frat broy. You know, <laughs> it's like I saw the DVD of Fight Club and I watched it in my dorm and it changed my life or whatever. <laughs> no, it just it it defied my expectations in such a way that I was so surprised. You know, because. I had heard about Fight Club before, and I assumed that it was, like, some kind of macho boys fighting each other yeah, for a sport yeah. kind of film. And I guess that's the thing, is, like, I'll never be able to forget how much shock I was in when I watched it. And, like, it was this profound, like, piece mm-hmm. that holds a mirror up to, like, 90s, like, blue-collar, like, worker society and says, like, man... Being special and being told that is a bunch of bull um, and just like has all these like captivating and interesting mm-hmm. scenes and ideas. And on top of that, one of the greatest plot twists of all time. Like, yeah. There's a reason that so many movies want to be the Fight Club plot twist and so many movies rip it off unabashedly, yeah. including Joker, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Which. In that instance, you know, it's pretty pathetic to have your one character of color end up to be imaginary the whole time. But anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other beast. <laughs> that's a whole. I could do a whole episode about oh, my thoughts my. of Joker. But can um, we? We might. Hey, we might. <laughs> we, we might. might. <laughs> we might. Have the Joker episode. <laughs> the Joker <laughs> episode. <laughs> Sorry, I'm the Joker <laughs> baby. <laughs> uh, I hate that. Okay, anyway, oh I'm sorry. <laughs> But anyway, I, I know it's been talked about to death. I've even talked about it before on the podcast, but I think Fight Club <laughs> is my favorite Fincher movie. It's by far one of the best book adaptations ever done, where the author yeah. even is like, okay, I bow down. You guys <laughs> made the better thing here. Yeah. Like, he admits it's better than the book. And yeah. I, I don't know. I just love it so much. I could watch it endlessly. I show it to my friends every year, someone who hasn't seen it. The, the surprise is something that i like enjoy watching in other people these days yeah like, you know watching someone think that they're getting into some like macho fighting movie and then getting something in return it just will right. never cease to thrill me yeah to watch that happen i i think that's interesting that you say that because i kind of have the same experience we're a lot connected to more connected to david fincher than i originally thought but like mm-hmm. i i had the same experience with gone girl yeah. when i watched gone girl i was like whoa like cinema is elevated you know yeah. kind of thing and and i enjoy showing people gone girl because of the ending the mm. last five minutes are just like the most i mean the whole movie is great crazy. but the ending i love to see people's reactions like i i recently had a friend um his name's Corey. i like he had never seen it and i was like dude watch gone girl dude and i let him uh I actually didn't let him borrow that one, but he found it on uh, some, <laughs> you something. You cheap son of a gun. I know. Didn't let him borrow Gone Girl. <laughs> He's like, I can find it on the PlayStation store. I'm like, all right, whatever. So anyway, he rented it or whatever, and then he called me, and he's like, bro, I just watched Gone Girl, and I could hear him like walking around his house, and he was like getting like some food or something. He's like, dude, what the hell, dude? Like, what? 
what was that? And he's freaking out. And I loved it because I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I did when I watched Gone Girl. So, I don't know. Hats off to you, Fincher. But, like, yeah. your movies are endlessly rewatchable and... You make, it makes you want to show them to people. Like, if anybody came up to me and said, I haven't seen Gone Girl, I'm like, sit down. We're watching it. Like, I'll watch it with you. That movie's... Sit down. Sit down. Watch Gone Girl. Watch Gone Girl. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Fincher is the greatest. And, yeah. No, yeah. Definitely top one of the best directors of all time for me. Yeah. And one that, you know... I'm like Tarantino where I enjoy the films, but I don't so much enjoy the person I think mm. that he is a very fascinating yes. individual on top of it. And I mean, this is already our longest episode yet, but that's just a testament to how much I feel like yeah. we could both talk about Fincher. And I um, it's if I guess we're, we're nearing, I guess, how, how long have we been going for? Oh, we've been going about an hour 15, my Ooh, guy. okay. So I, I'll, I'll just say... Uh, if you have a ranking of your favorite Fincher movies, I'd love to see them, you know, tweet at us or respond in the comments, however you're enjoying this episode, yeah. which you are been so kind to enjoy. Um, truly, like, I don't, I don't know if we talk about it enough, but we really appreciate every listener and yes. every person who responds to us. Like, it's just so awesome to be getting support for this. And we'll definitely never shut up about movies if there's anyone out there who wants to hear <laughs> yeah. what we have to say. You definitely. Know? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, we appreciate all of y'all. Um, we, uh, we have a couple of uh, little special episodes planned in the near future. And, yeah. Uh, I, think it's, I, think, I think you'll enjoy them. I think they'll enjoy the next episode. Next episode will be fun. We've got something pretty special planned yeah. for the end of the year. but. With the twist. With, with the, the twist. With the twist. <laughs> um, but no, um, before we go, I would like to tell one small story about that I heard about Fincher that I should have brought up at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Hey, I think close it's, out with something I think solid. it's a great closer. In 1999, uh, on December 31st, everybody was freaking out about Y2K. And David Fincher and Brad Pitt and one of their other friends were uh in mexico uh and they were basically celebrating like you know everybody didn't know like they thought really the world was going to end but um so they went down kind of out of the way at a mexican uh mexico beach and uh they were counting down the new year and uh it got to you know the clock struck into january 1st and the lights went out all around them and they were like what what just happened and then a bunch of federales pull up and basically start arresting uh their friend and david fincher and brad pitt brad pitt's freaking out he's like you cannot do this like what the hell are you doing and david fincher he's he's trying to he's like no we're like we're tourists we're, what are you why are you taking him away and he's like you're american we're uh we need to i don't know anyway just it was chaos drove off and uh took this guy somewhere, held him for like an hour. And like, they're thinking, wow, it's Y2K. Like this is the end of the world. David Fincher shows up and it turns out it was all just a big elaborate prank. He pulled on his friend. Really? He, he got the light. He got the local police involved to like shut down the lights to come and arrest his friend. Uh, and then he came and it turns out he just has a sick sense of humor. And I think Brad Pitt was in on it. And that was his Y2K prank on his friend. Brilliant director, <laughs> terrible friend. I know, right? <laughs> Do not befriend this man, people. Yeah.
But look up the story. It's true. I may have gotten some details wrong. It might not have been Mexico. But either way, it's why it's the funny funniest Y2K story I've ever heard. And I had no idea that Fincher was such a a clown, you know, such a jokester. But that's Fincher. You know, they also said you, the 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 people who predicted Y2K. They said that the world might end on December twenty second, twenty twenty. But I think that's bullcrap. I mean, can you imagine if we were just talking and then it cut? Out-